Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Yeah, I... I often do long distance. I often do long distance healings. Cool. All right, everybody. Hello. Hello. Good morning. Hello. 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 Can you guys feel the brand new day? (laughs) Patsy, can you feel the brand new day? Um, Patsy's going to be a little late. Uh, this is Mar. I just, I just joined what? this call. I don't like throwing away a good whiz joke. So she's going to have to really <laughs> pay for that. <laughs> okay, let's take a roll here. So obviously Mar is here. Brian is doing long distance healing. Do I believe Mike? <laughs> and I heard Sushant laugh. So uh, how about... Uh, I see one Arizona uh, thing on the uh, talk shoe list, so I know Chris is here. Lisa Lucius? I'm here. Lisa Lucius. Uh, Tom Hennessy, I heard. Uh, Kelly will not be in class today. Um, Moving right along. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Um, I'm here. Amina Sanchez. Hello, Amina Bliss. Um, I'm just going to... Stephen, are you on the call? Stephen's not going to be able to... Stephen's what? Stephen's not going to be on the call. Okay, no Stephen, no Kelly. And perhaps he's going to join us later. Did I miss anyone? Nope, that's everyone. All right. All right, cool. Oh, goodness gracious. You know, we just ended with um, a love fest in the last practitioner uh, class uh, where we were sharing our gratitude for the practitioner program and for other practitioners. So why don't we start? uh, We'll start with that one today. And uh, why don't we start with Mar? What is it again? What uh, gratitude? <clears throat> yeah, gratitude for the practitioner program and for your other practitioners. What are you uh, in retrospect? Because guys, this is our last. This is our last um, class of the year, and uh, I'll talk about the event on the first over at the center, but. Uh, yeah, so a year in review, Mark. What are you grateful for for the in the program? Um, I I'm I'm grateful for the community. I'm grateful for how much I've I've learned just in the past year. Um, I'm grateful for the fact that I'm. 
I'm having to be accountable for my own growth. Um, and I'm grateful for the fact that, that people do hold me accountable in a loving way. Um, I, I'm grateful for the fact that I've had to keep myself spiritually in check because of it. Um, it has definitely made, and particularly I think the past few months, I've definitely have been very, very grateful for this community because I've, I've had some emotional challenges. Um, it's been a little rough, and um, I think this community has sort of helped me um, has has cushioned that for me in a lot of ways, and and I'm so grateful for that. And um, I just love everyone here. I I I um I'm um, I'm just really happy and grateful to be part of this. Beautiful, beautiful. Sorry, maybe I was on mute. Brian, maybe you're on mute. No, I'm here. Would you like to I'm share? <clears throat> sure. Oh, let's look back at the year and all the the growth that we've done, the insights. I think it really helps to have spiritual community, to have brothers and sisters on the path with me to not only share and raise our vibrations because of that sharing, but also to get feedback. And sometimes feedback isn't just in the words we say, but in how we treat each other. And uh, I am so, so thankful for the treatments that I get from each and every one of my fellow practitioners, that I know that I am held in love, and I know that I am held in the highest possible light, and that encourages me to to be that light. Not that I'm anything else anyway, but sometimes I think I am. <laughs> and uh, so, yes, as I as I mentioned early in the, in the year, and how grateful I am to have this sangha, this community of people walking together, holding hands. Sometimes uh, someone goes a little bit ahead, and because we're all holding hands, we pull we pull each other forward, and uh, that is the the blessing of spiritual community for me. And as individuals, each one of us is so bright and so beautiful, and has so much to share. And always, 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 there's there's never a feeling of discord, discontent. This membership, there's just this wonderful unity of spirit that, that we all hold. And I know that we are a family, a group of souls who have been grouped together in the past and who will continue will to be grouped forward, to be grouped together as we move forward. So how can I not be thankful for the very self that encompasses all of us? How's that for a gratefulness? <laughs> I'm sorry, Brian. We couldn't hear anything you just said. Um... 
<laughs> Could you repeat what you just said verbatim, please? Thank you. <laughs> beautiful, beautiful. Thank you for sharing, Brian. Lovely. And I agree. Here, here. Soul groups. <laughs> uh, Mike, how about you? How about you? Well, I am extremely grateful uh, for this uh, expression of, like, my journey. I get to see it through your, you know, my community's actions and the way you all live your lives, and and I see it in the feedback that I get from um, some of you, and and, uh, I'm just so grateful that I get an opportunity to really live and grow in the awareness of truth and 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 breaking down boundaries. Or I'm sorry, breaking down blocks and 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 um, and just really like sharing in victories with each other and and sharing the times where we're locked in illusion and being able to really just work and live what we're learning here um, and hold each other accountable and, and, and be loving to each other. And uh, yeah, I'm just, I'm so grateful for this community and for all the support I've received and just being able to watch us all grow together. It's like, it's wonderful. You guys are my family. So I am deeply grateful, <laughs> deeply. Beautiful. Oh, beautiful, Mike. Dushan? I'm I'm grateful um, for I was so grateful for the retreat and the, the bonding experience that that was, and everything that we learned on that. I'm grateful for um, the relationships that I have with each practitioner and how it's expanded. They've expanded, you know, since the start of the program and learning from everyone and also seeing. Um, my own stuff and others come up and growing in that and I'm really grateful for the material that we've been reading like um, just uh, the testimony of light and the subconscious mind and stuff Um, and I'm really excited for for the next year Mm, yeah me too me too Beautiful. Uh, Chris? Um, I am grateful for being pushed outside my comfort zone. Um, I'm grateful for the... Because I think that, you know, being doing spiritual work isn't necessarily easy. And I think that having a a kind of a constant place to come together with a group of people who are doing this work themselves. Um, It makes me kind of always think about, well, you either believe this or you don't, you know, you either um, are into this or not. And so kind of when I go out into my life and it's kind of like a a neat place, it's a place that I'm able to, um, bring into my life um, just like by thinking about the group or thinking about the program or thinking about the work that we're doing 
and it's almost like it provides me like this safe place and I'm grateful for being challenged um whether that's with <clears throat> the 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 stuff that we're studying or things that we talk about um or just having to do you know some of the 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 tasks that that you require um like the god shots or coming together um for like the bingo or certain things, you know, that we're <clears throat> to be held accountable for um, that aren't necessarily so easy. Uh, so for me, I'm grateful for being challenged and being put outside of my comfort zone and growing and the relationships that I've formed um, with with the group in different ways. So I am grateful. Beautiful. This is a great share, Chris. Thank you. Beautiful. Lisa? Um, yes, I'm just in gratitude and um, just honored to be part of this group. I feel very honored. I feel like probably I've been prepared just to be able to be in a group like this. And seems like every one of you have kind of like saved my life every I feel like every one of you is so special to me you kind of I feel like you've kind of saved my life in different ways and um I can't really express the gratefulness it's it goes really deep with me but um I feel like you're my soul family, and I really have a lot of love for everybody. And, you know, I'm just, uh, I'm so excited. It's such a great life, such a great life to be around people like you. And I thank you for that. Yeah, and I think just to quote your posting in the, a practitioner group, the serial life, not just Fruit Loops or Lucky Charms. <laughs> I I love how I love how funny you are. <laughs> really, Lisa, you crack me well, up. You, you said to be private, just to saying it to anybody, like off the street. I thought so. I had to explain it's not serial. <laughs> That's funny. It's great. Spot on. Um, beautiful. Um, uh, Lisa, Tom. Uh, I'm so grateful for the humor that we have and that we can share. And I did see that posting from Lisa this morning in the Inspire group. And I saw with, uh, Amina that wasn't feeling good. And I just told her to take a a bottle of wild turkey and uh, should be feeling better in no time. But anyway, the humor, I'm so grateful <laughs> for for all of that, and I am grateful for the learning that we have done throughout the year, the challenges that we've had to, to look at and go within and discover what we needed to heal within ourselves. And for the community at large, for being able to 
come together and uh, being able to hear different ideas, different presentations and stuff from uh, everybody and saying, you know, that helps with our growth. And for Jesse, I'm grateful for and the community leader and uh, that uh, we're all together as a group and for, well, I'm so grateful that I'm still alive here on Earth right now at this uh, plane when at the beginning of the year I didn't know if I would still be here here at the end. So I'm uh, grateful. Mm, Me too, Tom. I'm glad you're here too. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Uh, And Amina, I know you're not feeling well, so uh, do you want to whisper something into the phone? Unless you've taken Tom's advice and drank wild turkey, maybe you want to shout something inappropriate into the phone. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't, I don't have any wild turkey, so you're safe for the moment. Um, I'll, I'll, I will keep it brief, but I do want to say how dearly I love and cherish this community and every person in it, and this program has been really. It's it's been I I can't even find the right word. It's totally exceeded my expectations, and it has allowed me to grow in ways that I didn't even think that I could. And witnessing my own growth and what's happened for me in the last year, and everybody else is just watching everybody blossom um, has been so rewarding, and. Um, I'm really grateful for the way that you hold us, Jesse, and the way that we hold each other. You know, this isn't a, this is a loving and compassionate community, but it's not. I'm going to sit here and cry and whine, and you're going to just let me do that. You know, there there are there's always somebody who will support you and listen to you and love you, but then will you know ask you the four questions or, you know, help you see what the truth really is and how you really want to live and express. And um, I'm, I'm so deeply grateful for that. And, and BK Jr., you know who you are. <laughs> um, beautiful, yeah. Here, here. Here, here. Isn't it good to know that we don't have a codependent group that's just going to nod and... And, and affirm your story of woe that you'll actually have friends that love you enough to say snap out of it or you know what's going to uh, what's your next step you know what are you going to do now <laughs> Patsy have you have you joined the call I don't think she has yet okay cool so listen um, we have uh we raised $1,700 this week for the retreat. Um, $100 went to expenses uh, for putting together price packages and stuff like that. And so 1600 a deposit of $1,600 will be made on Monday for the retreat. And I'll have new totals. And uh, I'd like to share with you all something I've been really contemplating. Um, and... In the, in the light of not 
developing a codependent relationship with this group, with any of us, uh, with the program, which has been a real journey for me. Um, I know I've shared some with you guys, but codependency is a big, uh, has been a big uh, journey for me, uh, especially in the terms of not wanting to upset anybody or stir the emotional waters of another individual, never wanting to upset anyone and never wanting to make anyone feel excluded. Uh, I'm a care, I'm, a, uh, I'm, you know, I've had to work through a lot of like caretaking and hero archetype stuff, uh, me, which to me translates into trying to save people, trying to be the, you know, trying to be the hero or trying to get, make everybody happy. Trying to make everybody happy is an exhausting way to live your life because you will never be successful. And if you teach people that that's your role, then they will continue to come to you and expect you to make them happy uh, or try to do what they can to, you know, give them what they want, which we all know isn't always the most loving thing to do, right? And so um, I've been... a I've been asked by a couple people about, you know, I may not be able to make the retreat. Uh, what do you think about that? And what I think about that is we all have to make our own choices. But I want to be very clear if someone is deciding that they, that thinking that they may not be able to go on the retreat, what that means. One, just as far as being responsible to the group, is um, your financial contribution towards the retreat is helping pay for it. So if you would, uh, if you pull out your financial contribution, uh, it's creating a, uh, it, it makes it more expensive for your student, your co-practitioners uh, because that cost has to be absorbed into the group um, the group cost. So just on that level, it creates uh, a little uh, bit of a challenge financially for the group. Uh, not challenge, but you know it puts more, it makes it more expensive for your um, co-practitioners. The second element is that this retreat specifically um, is not open to the community. This is just practitioners. Uh, so we are going to have five days of deep, deep spiritual work and also training. We are going to be um, putting together, creating um, the a specific um, format and formula for you all to, to follow in your spiritual counseling uh, sessions. So we will talk about active listening. We'll talk about incorporating the Byron Katie work. We'll talk about incorporating the uh, Joseph Murphy work. We'll talk about incorporating the Ernest Holmes work. How do we do that? What what is the difference between spiritual mind treatment versus spiritual counseling and how do the two get absorbed within each other? Uh, we're going to be practicing a creating a workshop format, structuring it and delivering it. And we'll also be practicing public speaking. Michael Lennox will come, I think, for like one and a half, two days, specifically to work with workshops and uh, help with public speaking. So... Uh, but the rest of the time will be just us as a group doing deep work and training and spiritual counseling. A spiritual practitioner is a spiritual counselor. And so um, I haven't made a solid decision, but I'm leaning towards the, 
about really saying this and declaring this, that I am not sure that I feel comfortable licensing you as spiritual counselors, spiritual practitioners of INSPIRE if you do not attend the retreat. Because there's going to be so much training that happens on the retreat that I'm not sure if you do not receive that training, I can't be 100% sure that you have the skills and the experience and the information necessary to be um, a representative of this program. Now, I can offer a certificate of completion, which is fine, but not a spiritual counseling license, which is what, is what a spiritual practitioner's license is. Because there, I want to make sure that you are being able to support the people that come to you for help, for guidance, for counseling, to the very best of your ability. And in, the only way that I can feel comfortable doing that is if I am training you and we are together and I know what you know. I need to know what you know. <laughs> you know? So um, I've been putting some real thought on that. Now, my why I say I've had to work through codependency is what comes up for me is, well, I don't want anyone to feel alienated. I don't want anyone to feel bad if they can't come. But the truth is, we've been talking about the retreat for over a year. <laughs> like since the last one, we've been talking about this. I make it very clear. For the new practitioners, I made it crystal clear that they have, that this is a required part of the course is the retreat. And um, so I think instead of, going into, and we have enough training, we've had enough conversation now that if money is tight or that's a concern, that we can come together as a community and create a solution. What if we committed that not one person be left behind? And if someone is really committed to the story that their work won't let them go or something like that, then we allow them to have that experience. But just know that I'm not sure that I'll license you if you do not come on the retreat. And I feel, I feel pretty strongly about that. And I don't think I'm being unreasonable. I don't think I'm being inflexible. If anything, I feel as though I am. this program and uh, doing this has made me one of the most flexible people. <laughs> I'm the most flexible that I've ever been in my life. And I'm also learning how to really take a stand for the integrity of this program, the integrity of you as a counselor, and um, the integrity of putting out really good, solid practitioners. Um, I, this is something I take seriously. And we have to remember, guys, we do this because we, have, we are in an organization that is committed to world peace. And we know enough now to know that the world around us is an outpicturing of an inward condition. And so each time that you meet with someone as a spiritual counselor, you are fulfilling that mission statement. You are supporting other people in experiencing peace, thereby allowing them to contribute to the vision of world peace by experiencing peace themselves. This is important work. It's something I take, I hold with high regard. It's nothing that, it's not a fly-by-night sort of thing. So um, I really invite you all to hold it as such as well. Join me in holding it with that level of um, importance because it is important, and it's a crucial part of your training. So um, I would like to open up the circle to discuss. Uh, um, uh, and 
You know, guys, listen, here's, this is just how it works. Something will always come up that will feel as though like it's a good enough justification to get out of a commitment. So if things start to pop up in your life, like once-in-a-lifetime opportunities, <clears throat> things that feel like emergencies, uh, events that happen to come up, again, remember, you've committed to the program. You knew the retreat was coming. What's coming up that, you know, why, why would prevent you from not being able to move through that to fulfill your commitment to this program that you've dedicated two years of your life to? So uh, there is a level of accountability, like Amina said. It's not just listening to excuses. It's holding ourselves accountable and each other accountable, too. And um, so, yeah, so the group is open. If you have any questions or concerns or thoughts or comments, uh, feel free to share them now. It's a safe space. What is the exact date now of the retreat? It's February 17th through the 21st. Okay. So I make sure I have it on my calendar. Jesse, I want to thank you for for, uh, honoring your commitment to truth. It's one of our precepts, and to speak only the truth. And uh, you do it in such a compassionate way that uh, it makes it very easy to respond in however the person needs to respond, to be in their truth also. So there's absolutely no no uh, ego involved in any of this. So I, I appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Jesse, do you know how much money we're going to have to come up with and win? I should know by Monday. Uh, I'm, I'm going to make the $1,600 payment. And then I have to calculate, uh, you know, the, the money that we, we raised uh, the initial down payment for the retreat. And then uh, this will go on top of that. And uh, then, you know, I, you know, shared that people who travel, I try not to make them pay for it. Um, but there will be options if, they, if they're buying a ticket and can contribute to the pot. That's fine. And if people can pay um, for it and then also could sponsor somebody else, we'll also accept that as well. So, um, again, I'd like it to be an experience where nobody has to feel, let money be an excuse. But um, I'll have that total uh, to you guys ASAP. My goal is to have that to you Monday. Do we feel complete? I do. Yes, all right. Cool. Cool, guys. All right. And, you know, it's retreat. It's exciting. I mean, remember how transformative last year's retreat was? Like, it was like, and that was, we're going to, double more I think it's more than double the time that we had together uh this this round. So I can't even imagine how we're going to walk out of that retreat, like the alchemic experience <laughs> that will unfold for us. I think it's we're really, gonna float out. 
Yeah, exactly. We'll, we'll just float a, a rocket out around the moon. So, yeah, I love it. Um, cool. All right, guys. So let's turn our attention to testimony of light. But first, let's do a little spray in. Let's take a minute and close our eyes and get comfortable and if anyone's feeling distracted, if anyone's online or anything, let's just log off (laughs) and plug into the group. And Sushant, why don't you pray us in? Taking a deep breath of gratitude and love, breathing in love. Dear Father, Mother God, Benevolent Universe, thank you so much for our time together for this class, for this group of souls that have gathered together to learn and grow and expand in consciousness and this path and journey to light. I offer up any feeling of lack, limitation, distraction, less than, feeling that we are not enough. I declare our wholeness and truth that we are complete, that we are light, that all our needs are met even before we ask for them, that anything that we need to know will be provided in the instant that it needs to be known, that we have nothing to worry about, and that we are here as messengers of peace and light and love. And I share this truth for everyone, not only on this call, but this community, this city, the state, our country, the world, and the universe. Through space and time, anyone that was here, anyone that is, and the people that are here yet to come. And so it is. Amen. Amen. Beautiful. Mm. So... So Francis gave um, three points that she felt were, if she said that if there were takeaways from this book, what would those three points be? It's on page 130 if you'd like to read with me. One main idea is that there should be no fear of death, for the death of the body is but a gentle passing to a much freer life. Two, that all life is lived as a serial, that we go from one experience of living to another experience of living at a different rate, i.e. on a higher level of awareness. Three, that much of what we thought praiseworthy on earth is mediocre to us in the light of a wider knowledge. And conversely, much for which we blamed ourselves and were blamed by others is viewed here from a wider angle and even becomes merit. That sounds like a contradictory statement, yet it makes sense when viewed from this freer angle. So, looking at those three points, those three takeaways, I'm going to ask, one, 
who has, since reading this material and having these conversations and contemplating this work, who has um, alleviated or at least have a different experience about their perspective of death? Or has anybody felt a little lighter around, like, say, a fear of death or the fear of the body retiring? Any new insights? This is Mike. Uh, I I always love to believe that death might be like the ultimate orgasm. Like it, everyone you know has always been so fearful of death, as have I. Um, but to counter that, I always was like, death is going to be the ultimate orgasm. So I really love this, and it really reaffirms that you know. We don't. It takes the fear off, like the like the the veil of fear that was just kind of floating above my my existence in the back of my thoughts and beliefs. Um, and I and I love it. Um, I, I, it it does it frees something within me um, regarding death because I always like wanted to believe, and now you know this definitely reaffirms that for me. And, and just in case anybody doesn't get the reference to the to the death of the orgasm, uh, in French, orgasm is called the le petit mal, the little death. Uh, the, <laughs> nice. the experience, the experience of the loss of self in the all-consuming instant, uh, wow. and that's why it's called that little death. Wow. The the, the teacher scholar in me. <laughs> <laughs> that's beautiful. I love that. I, I, think for me, I think for me, there's nothing really new in it, but it is a deeper uh, experience because of her experience, and especially the idea of that because there is no such thing as time, that it's all eternal, that it's a serial spiral of ever-blooming consciousness, the idea of preparing for death or preparing for life, if you will, the idea that the work that we do is is transcendent. And it's not that we're going to be any different because she makes it very clear that we're the same in our essence and yet we are different. And that's also what Paul says, I die daily. So we, we have this experience of death to lower forms of consciousness and a reawakening to our own real and eternal self. And that's the self that we all feel when we're together, that that's the love. So she's so elegantly uh, describing states of consciousness and states of being that uh, actually we're looking forward to. But again, not looking forward to death, looking forward to this, this orgasm, looking forward to this daily death of consciousness. And from my own experience in the last month or so, it's not something that we really have to strive for. It's a part of God's grace. God is, uh, we're the fish, and God is pulling us uh, toward, toward him, her. So I think I'm able to relax a little bit and not worry about trying to be perfect 
or trying to change behavior in any way, but allowing the change of consciousness to overshadow, to be the umbrella over my life in which then the change occurs not by my doing, but by the change of heart that allows more light to come in. Mm. I love that. Beautiful. And we do it by these uh, little deaths, too, when we look at our growth pattern and the things that we believed before and no longer believe, you know, that's a death for that particular aspect. But then we go on to, to believing bigger and better and within uh, ourselves, you know, and this is the death, you know, of being able to see it, uh, as it says, uh, life as a, uh, lived as, as a serial uh, that we go from one experience of living to another experience of living at a different rate. And uh, I was laughing this morning when I read the, with Lisa's uh, thing because I just had a bowl of Fruit Loops this morning. So, you know, that was my cereal this morning. But, you know, it's like I got the meaning from uh, what Lisa was saying too is, you know, she put it very colorfully, but, and I like that is that we're learning uh, that it's from one experience to another. One can have certain things, you know, new today and then something else tomorrow and then the next day. And then we die these little deaths because we stop believing what we used to believe and uh, we take on the fuller meaning of things that are yet to come. What everyone is sharing feels like it's just uh, an understanding of an expanding consciousness, or I should say an expanding self-awareness. And we've said so many times, we are not these bodies, we are not these bodies. So, I mean, it makes sense that when we release these bodies, we have a deeper awareness of self, true self. So expanding the conversation to number two, that life is lived as a serial, that we go from one experience of living to another experience of living at a different rate on a higher level of awareness. Chris Tompkins, you shared when we first started this this book, you shared that you were a little disappointed by the message because you were sort of had this idea or, um, I don't know, a hope that once you died, you had this like sort of like awakening or the ah, like an aha sort of moment. Um, has how has the teachings of this at all um, supported or shifted your perspective or feelings about this conversation? <laughs> That's funny that you asked that. Um, just because I've been thinking about that as like, when you asked the question <laughs> earlier, but you know, I. To be honest, um, this book has been interesting for me. Um, I use the word interesting because it's kind of it's vague, but um, I, I do feel that it has, has given me a lot more um, 
thought about death and I find myself thinking about my life, which is interesting because this book is kind of about what happens after you die, but I find that I find myself thinking about my life more um, because she does talk about, you know, when you transition and some of the things that she talks about definitely have been helpful for me in kind of thinking about what does happen after we die. Um, but I, I, I don't know, like throughout the book, I just, so many things, um, I, I, I question, um, I don't mean to be the person who like, I'm not so much anti this book, but, um, just it's, it's been an interesting read for me. It's been an interesting experience because I do, you know, question kind of like the stories that she tells and, like, is this really, like, a situation that's occurring? And, um, you know, to me, there's so much ego that still exists that she's describing after we die, um, you know, with the fear and the souls who are, you know, still kind of stuck in their guilt. Um, and then the different levels of light and how, like, Francis, you know, even was talking about how she couldn't stay in certain planes because her soul hadn't advanced um further enough and to me that just seemed more like levels like more differences separation um and so it's just been it's allowed me to for sure stretch my thinking um but i uh i've this book has been um interesting <laughs> well i love what you're i love what you're sharing chris and it's so funny cuz um my my experience my personal and this is just my personal experience and and why i so value chris chris's sharing is because he's practicing uh masterfully the um, practice of spiritual sovereignty, which is beautiful. And the purpose of this, of any of this material is not for you to sign off on it, but at least to get you to expand your conversation and question, you know, inquiry, um, things that we literally stand in. Because where Chris, um, my thought was, I think that I initially, and what um, I used to share Chris's sort of perspective and initially my feeling was the same and then what I asked myself was well do I just believe that we that we release the ego after we release the body you know is is that one and the same um and with this I mean if we want to call it a theory this theory is suggesting that we don't that it's a continual process of releasing that even after we release this body, we uh, continue to, um, re- I mean, and I feel like like the higher levels of light is just people that have, you know, released more layers and more layers of separation. And, um, you know, I, I tie to an experience that I have with Venerable. Like when I spend time with Venerable, especially when I, like, I was in Vermont, I had a migraine and I was, dizzy, 
constantly had really intense dreams. I uh, I felt really kind of sick and uncomfortable uh, because the vibrational frequency there was so high that I wasn't in I wasn't totally attuned with it. So I really had the experience of feeling uh, discomfort as a result of my, uh, I I just wasn't a a vibrational match to it. And the more time I was there, I was able to get more comfortable. And so for me, it's sort of this, one, it gives me permission to release any sense of urgency in my life now. Any sense of I need to work harder, I need to, uh, you know, I need to do more so that I can have, uh, I can experience enlightenment in this lifetime. Or like she says, this like um, working, working, working for a breakthrough. It gives me permission to release that urgency and say, and, and to understand like we just, it's a continual experience of unfoldment. It's a continual experience of, peeling off the layers of separation. And when I release this body, I'll have an easier time of understanding that and I'll continue to peel off the layers of separation. So that's what this book did for me, for me specifically. And uh, I just think it's interesting that we, we all have, and I think it's beautiful that we all have different experiences and that we get to, that those experiences uh, are the catalyst for these sort of conversations so each and every one of us can have our own level of clarity or understanding. And again, we study this material because one, um, you know, when people ask you about what you do as a practitioner, one of the first things they'll ask you is, well, one, either what's your belief system or what do you believe happens when we die? Um, that's a very common question to be asked. And so what this reading is giving us is um, uh, this reading is giving us the opportunity to get some clarity around that, to really contemplate that so we can support other people. And not to say what happens when we die, this happens. But what we can say is, well, what do you believe happens? And then when they say, well, what do you believe? You say, well, what I believe is that we continue on or you can, whatever it is that develops out of your insights from this work. So thank you, Chris, for sharing. And um, I love that you uh, are, you know, like, like the purpose of the book is to get you thinking about it. And what is obvious is that we're all thinking about it. So thank you for that. Would anyone else like to share? Or let me say this. Number three is, much of what we thought praiseworthy on earth is mediocre to us in the light of a wider knowledge. And conversely, much of what we blamed ourselves and we blamed other, by others is used to, viewed here from a wider angle and becomes merit. That sounds like a contradictory statement, yet it makes sense when viewed from the superior angle. I think what she's talking about there is radical forgiveness. And again, I've I've shared the theory that it feels as though where she's writing this from, I think that we've that through maybe the work that they've that is done in the invisible or in other planes has supported us 
and having a very similar experience in our lifetime. We're clear that our thoughts create form, that our thoughts and feelings create the experience we have. We're clear, like, like she said, like that things that we blame people for are actually their greatest merit. Like the things that we blame people for have actually supported us the most in understanding who we are and getting to where we are now. So um, what are some things perhaps that she has mentioned that we thought were so praiseworthy that uh, they see as a little more mediocre or not as necessary in the realm in which she's writing from, sharing from? I think of like worldly accomplishments. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I got really clear this year. It's been an ongoing goal of my motivation. What is my motivation? What is my motivation? What is my motivation? Meaning, like for instance, with Inspire, like I've always been motivated to grow Inspire. And a lot of people who come and get excited, they're motivated to grow Inspire. Let's get this thing growing. And <clears throat> I had to ask myself, why? What's that motivation from? Does it, is it purely from a space of sharing this information with other people? Or do I have a belief that bigger is better in some capacity. More people means something. And what does it mean? What do I think it means? And where is it coming from? Do I think that, is it because I would like to be the spiritual director of a large spiritual community? Uh, and why? Does that, what does that mean? If I'm the director of a large spiritual community, does it mean that I'm more successful? I'm more valid? That people will listen to me more clearly? You know, why... Why do we want to work with Oprah? What does it mean to us in our mind that working with Oprah, what does that mean to us? That we get a stamp of validation, that uh, we're, we're considered legit, that you know, millions of people will know who we are and that means something specific that makes us more valuable, that makes us more of an expert, that makes us more uh, viable and accessible? Is that what that means? And where does that belief come from? And I'm not saying by any means that those things can't unha- that those things cannot unfold from a very pure, clean, clear motivation and intention. I'm asking myself, okay, well, what's my motivation? What's my intention? Because if it comes from a place of unworthiness, meaning I need to accomplish X, Y, and Z in order to be either happy. Uh, worthy of people's love or worthy of people's appreciation to be valid as a teacher, then that is an invitation for me to do more work, to clean that out because it's not true. And how she teaches it, and one thing that we, and we reviewed it last week, which I thought was so beautiful, was this belief that we have to work really hard. We have to work really hard in order to have that breakthrough, because once I have that breakthrough, then I'm going to know God. When what was uh, the invitation was, 
God is always there. The peace has always been there. And it's a gentle leaning into it. It's the opposite of that hard, hard, hard work. That's why we say we want to cultivate loving discipline. Loving discipline to support us in allowing what is already there to come forth. So it really supported me in thinking about that as well. And, uh, and the other way of the worldly accomplishments, you know. Um, I see my husband work through that a lot as sometimes because uh, he's a waiter in Los Angeles and there's a real stigma around that. And so he's had to really stay current and clean with himself about, well, what does that mean? Why am I making that mean? What am I making, you know, being a waiter mean? Why do I feel like, like I have to get out of that job, you know, that... Uh, you know, what, what's the stink around that or the belief system around that? Because if you know my husband, you see how much he contributes to the world around him in a really beautiful way. And, um, and I've seen, too, like the, um, his ability to provide for his family in that job has been so impressive. And uh, so really, it's just stink around that. But it's that whole idea of if I'm going to do what I want to do, if I'm going to be living the life I want to live, and I need to be doing this professionally, it needs to look like this, and I need to, and then I'll get the respect from this, this, and this, this, and well, all that stuff. And it's all ego stuff. It's all ego-based. And I feel like she's sort of referencing that as well. So I guess a question would be um, to pose is, does anyone have the experience of allowing their own approach to their spiritual practice and unfoldment has that shifted as a result of contemplating the serial life, the idea that we continue to just gently peel off the layers and layers and layers of separation as we go on. Um, Jesse, I'd like to say that um, I've seen a real shift in me as far as really on another level kind of seeing things as meaningless and um and and letting myself just be part of the process and um not placing these meanings that just bring fear uh or pain and you know if i do experience pain it's I don't tend to run from it as much. I really kind of just look at it like, okay, this is something that maybe needs to be transformed into something else. And just allowing uh, the, your inner guidance, your Holy, the Holy Spirit, I feel like I'm just able to, I just know the answers will come. And so I can hear more clearly. But I'm not really trying to get answers. I just have a confidence that that answers will come and just give myself over to the process and um yeah it's been all really changed in my life or taken to another level beautiful i love that what about the idea of light of working with light. Has anyone put any thought into that? Of what that might mean? Or has anyone started 
incorporating this idea of allowing more light to come forth and come in and uh, work with that in their own practice, meditation practices, personal practices? Shant, I'm getting the intuitive hit to ask you. <laughs> well, I I love like first of all, I love the word light and just this concept of like light. And uh, I think with you know the part where she's in the gardens and stuff, and the light is too bright and stuff like that. I remember there was a, I think it was the Indiana Jones movie with Kate Blanchett, and in the end she's standing around these skulls and she just like wants to know all the information, like whatever there is to know. And the skulls like bring her light and stuff and then like her body bursts or something like that. But I, in a way I get the whole concept of like, you know, where there is, there are different sort of like levels of learning just as in, you know, we talk about a child that's closer to the light. Um, because it is more more connected and, uh, you know, we have a better understanding of how um, the the world works in terms of what is necessary to live, which is to eat and to get dressed and to take medicine or whatever it is if you're sick. But a child doesn't know how to do that, but yet the child is closer to the light. So I think there's, you know, there's obviously like different levels of growth and different levels of understanding and being. So for me, what what it has done is it's whenever I've had sort of like um, something that felt like a conflict or a misunderstanding of a situation, I just imagined like infusing like my light with that to where it just became one light. So it was literally like imagining like being in the sun like whatever the situation was or whoever the person is to infuse um, my energy into that light and expand into that. The same thing with like my body, whenever I felt like whether it's working out or whether it's like feeling tired, I just imagine like this light entering my body and like it's glowing. And so even if I'm eating something, I imagine like that being the light and that like nourishing me, whether it's even water or whether it's like, coffee or uh food so and in my prayers i you know i use the word light a lot just because i personally really relate to it beautiful does anybody else have anything they'd like to share about testimony of light Jesus said, you know, that we are the light of the world, you know, to let our light shine. And uh, this book, to me, is is speaking in uh, a lot of ways to that light, that the light within us is merging with other lights, and as we are growing, you know, becoming more aware of ourselves, and it's becoming... It's, uh, we get to manifest what we want to manifest, and we manifest according to our beliefs and our levels of awareness, and if we believe, you know, if we know ourselves as that light, 
you know, that we are, we cannot be separate from the light, but, you know, we're only separate as far as our awareness is. But if we can create from that light, you know, we can create more light, uh, so to speak, you know, and uh, create it, create that awareness, I guess I'm trying to say, more so within us. And this is what I, I believe that the book is trying to reach uh, out to us about as uh, that that light. Remember, it says, you know, okay, because it says knowledge is light, you know, the light of knowledge and uh, different things like that. And uh, it's that awareness of remembering that of who we really are. Mm, I think you nailed it on the head there at the very end. The awareness of knowing who we are. We are the light of God, the light of the world, the light. So the idea of light, it's a deeply mystic belief. It's a mystic ideology of allowing the illumin, uh, our illumined body to come forth. And so I really love how she keeps talking about light beings, you know, um, and the higher frequencies, the purifying. That's why we bring the light in. It's the purifying essence, the light of the Christ mind. And that really is, a, I feel, a... Um, an experience that we each have to have on a personal level, a deepening understanding that understanding that will come to us with our own practice. So starting after the new year, we'll begin to, and for the rest of, through January, we're going to work this module, guys, uh, meaning uh, testimony of light, this idea of light, and A Course in Miracles until the retreat, so through January. We're going to take two weeks off after this class and then, um, but we're going to, in our, our homework assignments, will be less about reading and writing and more about our spiritual practice in January. And we'll work with this idea of inviting more light into our awareness just to see what the experience is so that we can each start developing our own understanding and take on it. And um, I feel like it's a very exciting time and uh, really has supported me in deepening my practice, my own spiritual practice. I love you guys so much. I love this work. I love it so much. I feel like this is this is the work that is, these are the conversations that you don't get to have in a lot of classes. This is the deep sort of conversation that I really love and really held a space for um, with this practitioner program. So thank you all for joining me, for being willing participants, for being willing to expand your perspective, try something new on, and um, taking what works for you and leaving what doesn't. Again, going back to Chris's conversation, so good. Like, you know, you don't have to agree with me. <laughs> you don't have to agree with Helen Greaves or, uh, or Francis or anybody. You don't have to agree with Course in Miracles. But for whatever reason... Every decision that you've ever made in your life has landed you in this program with these books. And I don't believe in coincidence, and I 
have a feeling you don't either. So it's good for us to pay attention and ask ourselves the questions that are being presented, yes? And I feel like it's time for a break. So it is 11.40. Let's take a solid five minutes to stretch our legs and use the restroom and refill our teas and waters. I'll see you back here at 11.45 a.m. Please don't hang up your phone. Just put yourself on mute.
Okay, we are back. <clears throat> so I have um, options for what we do next. Who doesn't love options? Uh, first, uh, I'm going to take five minutes to talk about um, January 1st, our New Year's gathering. Uh, enough of you said that you'd be interested in doing it, so uh, I will host it and uh, encourage everybody to come. I'm not sure what time. It'll be probably late morning or something. Um, sorry, late morning or something uh, on uh, New, Year's Day, New Year's Day, early afternoon. Uh, and it will be a New Year's intentions uh, workshop for us all. So <clears throat> a powerful time to get together collectively in your spiritual community and um, energize not only what are you intending for your life, your own life, but we'll also hold that globally uh, for this year. This year is, uh, in our country, it's a big year. It's an election year. So to really hold the space for loving um, leadership to emerge. Um, and we'll do a lot of, uh, we'll do a meditation with the light and all that stuff. So um, that will be January 1st, late morning, early afternoon. I'll figure out the exact time and let you know. We'll just meet at the Heart Center, easiest. And it'll be some deep practice, some deep meditation and prayer work, followed by some intention studies for our life and for uh, the country and the world and some more meditation, and we'll let it go, and maybe we'll go we'll have lunch afterwards or something like that. Uh, not mandatory, but uh, open to everyone. Um, I'd like to attend. I'd like to attend, and I, I'm wondering how many people. I actually have a lot of plans for New Year's Day, including uh, the Rose Parade and family things afterwards. Is, is that really the best day to do it, or would Saturday be better? Or, but that's, of course, it's up to you if you're hosting. Uh, I'm open. I'm open. Um, you know, I think that uh, the energy is conducive to a workshop like that on New Year's Day, but I also trust that we're always taken care of in perfect timing. So if more people would prefer to do it on Saturday, I'm completely open to that possibility. Would anyone else like to chime in? I would like to come. I don't know if I'll be out of town in Palm Springs that night or that morning. You know, it just depends on uh, on uh, the time. And because uh, okay. I I don't know if I'll go to Palm Springs that weekend that, uh, that for New Year's Eve and New Year's Day. So it just depends. Okay. Either day is good for me. Cool. Same here. Cool. Yeah, me too, Jesse. Either one's fine. Okay. Well, then, why don't we say that we'll do it... um, Why don't we just do 10.30 on Saturday, like our normal class time, after New Year's? And that way, Brian can attend as well. And uh, we'll Works do for it me. in a, reg- <laughs> a regular class time, except we'll just do it in person at the Heart Center. And 
if you're interested in Skyping in, Mike, uh, feel free, though I feel like it'll probably be uh, more experiential um, and we'll have a place held for you energetically so you can reap all of the benefits. Um, but uh, yeah, okay, so let's just plan on that. Saturday after New Year's, uh, 10.30, I'll send out an email reminder. I'll make a little Facebook event in our group or something like that just for practitioners so that you guys know and you can come and participate if you're available. Um, okay, so there's that. Um, let me think, what else? I'll talk more about that at the retreat. So going forward today, would you guys like to read on about healing in the manual for teachers today, which we can totally do, or would you guys like to read a little bit about what the course says about Christmas, since it's uh, tis the season? Either one is fine with me. Tis the season. Tis the season. So Brian's uh, one vote for Christmas. Chris Tompkins, what do you think? Christmas. Christmas. Sushant? Uh, Christmas. All right, I see a theme emerging here. Okay, we'll do Christmas. I know what I need to know. So here's what we're going to do. Uh, in A Course in Miracles, uh, in the actual text, find Chapter 15. Chapter 15. It's uh, the chapter entitled The Holy Instant. And um, chapter and section eleven in that ten talks about it a lot too. But uh, you know how these course and miracles sections go. We'll read what we can. So we'll just focus on chapter uh, section eleven. So it's X one Christmas as the end of sacrifice, which is the theme of my talk tomorrow. My let me do a little mini talk, like a ten minute God shot tomorrow at the musical service. Um, chapter 15, section 11, Christmas as the end of sacrifice. Hallelujah. It's like it's page 327 in my edition. Yeah. And if you if you have the third edition, it's page 327 in the, in the text. Okay. So probably room enough. There's enough for everybody to read, but uh, so let's just do that. Okay, I'm going to say the order that we will read in. Everyone will read a paragraph. And I'm going to invite everyone, too, just to have your pens out and your highlighters out and your pencils out and to mark sections that stand out to you as you read. And the, sorry, the, I will go in this order. Mar, you'll read first. Um, can I go later because I'm still trying to find the chapter here. Um, for some reason, um, I have the Kindle version and it doesn't give me the page of the text. I mean, of the chapter. So I'm having to. Some are you at chapter? Page. Are you at chapter 15? Um, well, it won't take me to chapter 15. It just says text. So I, I literally have to turn every single page to get to chapter 15. So I might have to be one of the later people. <laughs> To read. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, how about you know? You hey, know, hey. I'll, well, let me just join. I'll join you in the room, Mari. You can use mine. Okay. 
right. Okay. All right, cool. So Patsy will not be reading because she has to sing tomorrow and she has no voice. So, Mar, you'll go first. And Patsy's okay. Time, followed by Brian. Followed by Mike. Uh-huh. Followed by Sushant. Followed by Chris. Followed by Lisa. Followed by Tom. Followed by Amina. Okay, so it's Mar, then Brian, Mike, Sushant, Chris, Lisa, Tom. And Amina, do you want to read or do you want to just be an active listener? I know you're not feeling well as well. I can read. Okay, so you'll go after Tom. And then after Amina reads, there's... uh, if there's still paragraphs, uh, Mar, you'll pick it up. Cool? So you know who's reading ahead of you. Okay, so who's the last person to read? Um, Amina. Okay, um, so Christmas uh, as the end of sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Um, fear not to recognize the whole idea of sacrifice as solely of your making. And seek not safety by attempting to protect yourself from where it is not. Your brothers and your father have become very fearful to you, and you would bargain with them for a few special relationships in which you think you see some scraps of safety. Do not try longer to keep apart your thoughts and the thought that has been given you. When they are brought together and perceived where they are, the choice between them is nothing more than a gentle awakening and as simple as opening your eyes to daylight when you have no more need of sleep. The sign of Christmas is a star, a light in darkness. See it not outside yourself, but shining in the heaven within, and accept it as the sign the time of Christ has come. He comes demanding nothing. No sacrifice of any kind of anyone is asked by him. In his presence, the whole idea of sacrifice loses all meaning, for he is host to God, and you need but invite him in who is there already by recognizing that his host is one, and no thought alien to his oneness can abide with him there. Love must be total to give him welcome, for the presence of holiness creates the holiness that surrounds it. No fear can touch the host who cradles God in the time of Christ, for the host is as holy as the perfect innocence which he protects, and whose power protects This Christmas, give the Holy Spirit everything that would hurt you. Let yourself be healed completely, that you may join with him in healing, and let us celebrate our release together by releasing everyone with us. Leave nothing behind, for release is total. And when you have accepted it with me, you will give it with me. All pain and sacrifice and littleness will disappear in our relationship, which is as innocent as our relationship with our Father and as powerful. Pain will be brought to us and disappear in our presence. And without pain, there can be no sacrifice. And without sacrifice, their, their love must be. You who believe that sacrifice is love must learn that sacrifice is separation from love. For sacrifice brings guilt as surely as love brings peace. Guilt is the condition of sacrifice as peace is the condition for the awareness of your relationship with God. Through guilt, you exclude your father and your brothers from yourself. Through peace, you invite them back, realizing that they are where your invitation bids them to be. 
What you exclude from yourself seems fearful, for you endow it with fear and try to cast it out, though it is part of you. Who can perceive part of himself as loathsome and live with himself in peace? And who can try to resolve the conflict of heaven and hell in him by casting heaven out and giving it the attitude, the attributes of health, without experiencing himself as incomplete and lonely? As long as you perceive the body as your reality, so long will you perceive yourself as lonely and deprived. And so long will you also perceive yourself as a victim of sacrifice, justified in sacrificing others. For who could thrust heaven and its creator aside without a sense of sacrifice and loss? And who could suffer sacrifice and loss without attempting to restore himself? Yet how could you accomplish this yourself when the basis of your attempts is the belief in the reality of the deprivation? Deprivation breeds attack, being the belief that attack is justified. And as long as you would retain the deprivation, attack becomes salvation and sacrifice becomes love. So is it that in all your seeking for love, you seek for sacrifice and find it. Yet you find that love. It is impossible to deny what love is and still recognize it. The meaning of love lies in what you have cast outside yourself and it has no meaning apart from you. It is what you prefer to keep that has no meaning. While all that you would keep away holds all the meaning of the universe and holds the universe together in its meaning. Unless the universe were joined in you, it would be part apart from God. And to be without him is to be without meaning. In the holy instant that the condition of love is met for minds are joined without the body's interference, and where there is communication, there is peace. The Prince of Peace was born to reestablish the condition of love by teaching that communication uh, remains unbroken even if the body is destroyed, provided that you see not the body as a lesson, as a necessary means of communication. And if you understand this lesson, you will realize that to sacrifice the body is to sacrifice nothing. And communication, and communication which must be of the mind, cannot be sacrificed. Where then is sacrifice? The lesson I was born to teach and still would teach to all my brothers is that sacrifice is nowhere and love is everywhere. For communication embraces everything, and in the peace it reestablishes love comes of itself. Let no despair darken the joy of Christmas, for the time of Christ is meaningless apart from joy. Let us join in celebrating peace by demanding no sacrifice of anyone. For so you offer me the love I offer you. What can be more joyous than to perceive we are deprived of nothing. Such is the message of the time of Christ, which I give you 
that you may give it and return it to the Father who gave it to me. For in, in the time of Christ, communication is restored, and he joins us in the celebration of his son's creation. God offers thanks to the holy host who would receive him and lets him enter and abide where he would be. And by your welcome does he welcome you into himself, for what is contained in you who welcome him is returned to him. And we but celebrate his wholeness as we welcome him into ourselves. Those who receive the Father are one with him, being host to him who created them. And by allowing him to enter, the remembrance of the Father enters with him. And with him they remember the the only relationship they ever had and ever want to have. This is the time in which a new year will soon be born from the time of Christ. I have perfect faith in you to do all that you would accomplish. Nothing will be lacking, and you will make complete and not destroy. Say then to your brother, I give you to the Holy Spirit as part of myself. I know that you will be released unless I want to use you to imprison myself. In the name of my freedom, I choose your release because I recognize that we will be released together. So will the year begin in joy and freedom. There's much to do and we have been long delayed. Accept the holy instant as this year is born and take your place so long left unfulfilled in the great awakening. Make this year different by making it all the same. And let all of your relationship be made holy for you. This is our will. Amen. All right. So first I'd like to just say, because sometimes it's easy to forget reading this, this text came through a neurotic Jewish therapist, okay, psychologist in New York in the 60s. All right, so just really comprehend that for a minute. Like, reading this text, and it's so rich and so, like, powerful, and I feel like the words are alchemic. That the, and it, this voice that I didn't... Imagine being Helen Schuchman, and then a voice that identifies itself as Jesus starts working through you. I mean, really consider the courage that it required for her to finish this text. And she was writing it with her colleague who was a homosexual in the 60s. A closeted homosexual. So, I mean, what a dynamic duo to bring this forth. It's just wild. I read this sometimes, and I forget how grateful I am that I have this text because, my God, it is packed full of power, baby. So let's just ask ourselves first, what has Christmas become? And let's ask ourselves, what did we think it was when we were kids, and what has it become now? Bueller? 
this is Mike. Um, I mean, it's it's different. You know, it's all about um, perception. You know, as, as like a child, or you know, back in the day, um, Christmas has meant gifts, and uh, but also you know, family and celebration and um, gra- gratitude and love. Um, but I think it, now to me, it's more of a conscious awareness of the love and what, you know, what it means to be, you know, unseparate or together and, um, and, and live full in, in love. But it's like maybe just like more of a consciousness to that love and not so much wrapped up in the illusion of, gifts or, you know, a Christmas tree, you know, even though we still do all those things, but, you know, it's it's more of like a return to awareness or like a remembrance of, of, you know, just the beauty of life and togetherness and, and, uh, the, the illusions of separation kind of melting. And, you know, that also would kind of come up you know, that kind of manifests in a very physical human existence way where it's like all these family members that I saw only once or twice a year are coming back together, you know. So it's almost kind of like a, a physical manifestation of that, like, and, you know, but a belief also that there's separation in between and, and but, you know, just kind of like more of a, a remembrance of togetherness and the love that always is bonding us together. Um, as opposed to, oh, you know, I'm going to see my grandma finally and I'm going to get a gift and, you know, we're going to eat a turkey and, you know, whatever. (laughs) That it's actually, you know, it's the love that's behind the turkey. (laughs) It's the love that, you know, of of the family that's at the table and and the togetherness and, um, you know, more of a conscious awareness of that, I guess. That's beautiful. Now, I have a question for you. Have you ever felt obligated to give gifts? Not really. In fact, okay. I, I don't give gifts very often, uh, because right. mostly because so, I'm away. All right, I'm going to pause you, because you are our enlightened teacher here. <laughs> let's, let's just go with, let, let's do some broad strokes, blatant, blanket statements of what it has become, what we observe it is for a lot of people. Let's say okay. people that that haven't had these spiritual teachings. So we can, because what we're doing, uh, Mike, is we're getting clear on uh, how we would teach this, you know. Okay. So if you were sharing, what has, what has Christmas become about for the most part in your observance? You live in Manhattan. Right, you live, or you you work in Manhattan at least, or something like close to that. Yeah, you see all the storefronts, you see all that stuff. What has it become? It's become a circus. <laughs> it's become like a way to sell uh, sell product, and you know, especially in my industry because I work with advertisers and ad agencies. So it's just like, how do we like get the the you know the consciousness of people like hypnotized into shopping and pulling them into stores and and shopping and, and you know, probably, like, 
in that in itself the gift or the guilt of not gift giving or not you know spending a certain dollar amount on people or or not getting the best or you know kind of waiting in line and fighting for the best deal and people punching each other over you know it's a flat screen tv or something like that <laughs> yeah exactly um and uh i i actually saw this best buy commercial Chris was so appalled by this and it said when you shop at best buy you're not only it's something like you're not just giving good gifts you you'll not only give good gifts you'll be loved Oh wow! Okay. Yeah, I know. I was like, "Wow, that <laughs> I better get my ass to Best Buy." <laughs> I know. Well, exactly. That doesn't we all want love. Sum it up. But and all those gifts. What do those gifts cost? What do you mean? Sorry. To get gifts, what do you have to have to have gifts? Money. Yeah, exactly. And if you have a big family or there's a lot of people you need to get gifts for, what does that mean? You're gonna have to what? You're going to have to sacrifice. Yeah, you're going to have to spend a lot of money, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. Now, have you known anyone or have you ever had the experience of anyone getting stressed out around the holidays because they don't have money to buy gifts for people? Yeah. Oh, totally. Of course. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And what do what is the feelings that come up around that when you're not able to buy gifts for people? Failure, um, not, you know not loving someone or caring about them or taking the time to think about them and, you know, just a, I guess, separation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I actually, I heard, a, I heard a commercial form of jewelry place on the radio and uh, this guy, this guy goes, I'm going to give the love of my life a blue sweater to match her eyes this year. And the commercial is pretty much like, oh, you're going to give the love of your life a sweater? That's what you give the love of your life? What kind of man are you? Oh, shit. And it was yeah. about having that you should buy her jewelry. That's what um, a real man does. A real man, that he, if you make good money. A real man or, does that. Yeah. Exactly. If you, love your, if you love your wife, you're going to get her jewelry. Um, so, yeah. So there is this real sense of um, sacrifice that has to come. That that is inherent with the holidays, and that's what, uh, for all intents and purposes, I'm just going to call him Jay. All right, that's what Jay is sharing in this in this teaching is that Christmas is actually the end of sacrifice, and so we quite literally are doing the opposite of what is available because it is the awakening of the Christ presence which is the awakening of the holy instant. The holy instant is eternity. That's what the holy instant is. And so people reading the Course often think that there's several holy instants. There's only one holy instant. The holy instant is the glimpse of eternity. And, but we experience the holy instant, like it's like a miracle. You tap into the truth. You tap into true vision of eternity, of our true nature, ourselves. And so Christmas can be the awakening of that consciousness, that awareness, that perfect love, and the end of the belief in sacrifice. Now, how many people have had the experience of being at a wedding or something like that, and the bride or the groom is sharing about 
how much they love their parents and how much they sacrificed for them, you know, how much they sacrificed for their, for their family. We have created not only, it's a misperception, but we idolize this idea of sacrifice, this, 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 because you sacrificed for us, you love us more. You were showing us how much you loved us by sacrificing all of these things. And the Christ is here. Jesus, Jay is here teaching, yo, 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 no, no, no. Love knows no sacrifice. There is no sacrifice in love. For sacrifice is the expression of separation. So what else does anyone pick up from this section? Who else would like to share? In the second chapter, says the sign of Christmas is a star light in the darkness. See it not outside yourself, but shining in the heaven within, and accepting it as the sign the time of Christ has come. Um, Yogananda taught that the star is the Christ center, is a place of meditation in our third eye. Often called that uh, the the uh, in the face, facing east, and that that is the east, the star in the east. And the wise men, by meditating and fixing their gaze on the star that is the symbol of Christ when you, when you meditate, that that's how they found uh, the baby. That's a little factoid that I'm not sure people are aware of. And again, it, it uh, points toward the externalization of Christmas, uh, the, the story, the, the outside, you know, the, the external parts instead of the internal part, the, the birth of Christ within us. And also, uh, Christian religion is very big on Christ, and Christ as the sacrificial lamb that Christ sacrificed for us, and so there's probably some deep discussion in, in there also. Well, in this section, he talks about, let me just pull it up. Um, well, I think I actually have that in yellow. Uh, okay. Uh, the Prince of Peace is born to reestablish the condition of love by teaching that communication remains unbroken even if the body is destroyed, provided that you see not the body as the necessary means of communication. And if you understand this lesson, you will realize that to sacrifice the body is to sacrifice nothing. And communication, which must be of the mind, cannot be sacrificed. Okay, so <clears throat> Christ is a sacrificial lamb. What did Christ sacrifice? What are we what are we honoring his the sacrifice of what? His, his blood is the normal Christian understanding. His, his body, life. His body. Right. His body, his body, his body. We have made him special. <clears throat> Christ is special. He is unique. He is magical. When his, the baseline of his teachings, even in the Bible, is this and more shall you do. He this was an enlightened master, okay, with no perception of separation whatsoever. So even when he said, I am, he was referring to I am presence, the truth of who we are. And so right here he's saying, if you think we're the body, then you think there's, that sacrifice is possible. What I'm here to teach is that sacrifice is impossible. 
And that communication is not done through the body. And it continues after the body has gone. And so if he laid down his body, did he sacrifice anything? Nope. No, he did not sacrifice anything. And that was his teaching. Was I am, we are not this body. Look, I even resurrected it. You killed it and it's back. I'm not this. You can break it down, but here I am. And when he left it was, you are confusing principle, a principle with a personality or principle with a person. I must leave you. I must leave you because you are confusing a principle with a person. You're making me special, and that's not the teaching. The teaching is the principle that you can kill this body, and, but I will not go anywhere. This is what the awakening of the Christ is. And again, like Brian pointed out, there's that reference to what? Light. Light. There's that light reference again. Who else would like to share? Chris Tompkins, what are you thinking? Um, I'm thinking, I'm thinking two things. I was going to share my my personal experience, but in this, for the sake of time, um, I you know I'm from Arizona, and so um, Christmas has always been just my family. Uh, I have a big family, and so Christmas Eve we all get together and. Da, da, da. And so uh, this year, um, I'm, I may or may not be going back for Christmas. And so when I was talking to my mom, she's kind of just had this expectation that that I'll be going back. And so when I told her that, you know, I might not be going back, she was, it was just this really interesting, like, just this, like, deep sense of of, like, really? Like, you're not, like... And and what was different about it was that I just really saw so much in that in her response that it was this it was this um, this thing that it's kind of we've created without even really realizing what we've created. And so when I was talking to her and letting her know, well, if I didn't go if I didn't make it for actual Christmas, that I would be going shortly thereafter. And I get it. Like, she's my mom, and she wants me home for the holidays. But it was just, it was a deeper kind of um, experience that I had in kind of realizing all that we put into something that we don't really even know what we're putting into it when we don't ask ourselves, well, you know, what is this for, or what does this mean, or, um, like, me not going home for Christmas, does that mean something, or, or, it was just this interesting experience that I had, and so I've been really thinking a lot about, well, how does that make me feel? So, to answer your question, the second thing I was going to ask is, or what I'm thinking about is, you know, we've read this Christmas as the end of sacrifice, and I think that we're having this great conversation. And so 
what I think for the takeaways that we have going into our lives, like what are what are we proposing? Like what is what is this proposing? Like what what are some tools that we can um, use to incorporate the holiday season um, with this notion of Christmas as the end of sacrifice? Well, what do you think? What would you suggest? Um, well, I think the awareness of it is is first. Um, you know, but it's hard to not hard, but it, it is it is a different perspective um, to. Like this is different perspective than um, most kind of. I'll just speak personally, like mo- like my family's um, notion of of the holidays or Christmas. And so to try and explain this, you know, <laughs> um, I don't know that that would really be understood. Yeah, uh, great, great, great point, Chris. Super great point. And I would say that is it our job to teach this philosophy? Well, no, I'll think about it. It is our job to teach this philosophy. But how do you teach this philosophy? Is it trying to explain what is written in the Course in Miracles? Or going back to the, like the first section of the Manual for Teachers, it suggests that we that real teaching is done not through our words, right? So how do we teach this without using our words? No, I I mean, I totally understand that. I really, I mean, I I understand, um, you know, we, that's how we teach. I mean, teaching is demonstration. Absolutely. For sure. And, I think that for a lot of things, um, that that that's something that we do. I mean, we do that every day. Um, I think when it comes to kind of like what Brian was talking about, there's like this deep, just I mean the whole, I mean Christmas in general. It's just like this. I mean, there are movies and and memories and the Peanuts Christmas song is like my favorite, and it's almost like Pavlov's dog. You know, it's like the holidays. And so this is kind of a, um, I think a more, it's a much bigger thing. And so I don't know, I don't know that we have time to really like solve it right now, but um, those are just the things that I'm thinking about. Yeah, no, I actually think that all of those things are great. I love the holiday thing. We decorated our tree last night. My mom came over the happiest time of year for her when she gets to decorate the Christmas tree. In fact, she stayed over at mine and Chris's house last night so she could wake up in the morning, drink coffee, and look at it. She just loves waking up and looking at the tree. <laughs> it's her thing. And um, so I think that what it is, a call, is just, and I think you already answered it, Chris, was it's that call of mindfulness, of, um, you know, being a loving presence like you said, like this situation with your mom about 
her feeling disappointed that you aren't you might not come for Christmas is being available to love her up even if you're not there. And what is that teaching? You're teaching her that you're still uh, that love has nothing to do with your presence. And how that unfolds, that I think comes down to the intention that you create in the space that you hold, you know. But I think that <clears throat> we get to shift the experience of the possibility of Christmas by being extremely mindful when we participate, meaning we don't allow ourselves to sacrifice. So if going somewhere feels like we would have to sacrifice something, then maybe we choose not to do it. Maybe we honor ourselves by not putting ourselves in a financial situation that feels like it's going to be stretching us too much. Or uh, if, like, you know, driving out of state feels like a little much uh, for you to handle this year, you don't do it in a really loving way in the sense of this is for self-care. This is me loving myself, loving my family. I get to teach them that I'm still a presence in their life, even, even if I'm not there physically, and I'll be sending them love, I'll be checking in, I'll be doing what needs to be done to uh, fulfill my commitment to participate in a very loving way. I, we don't buy gifts that feel like they're going to strain, put any strain, so there's no sense of sacrifice whatsoever. But there is an abundance of joy and of love, and I don't think Jesus would care if you bought a Christmas tree and gave gifts. And went and sat on Santa's lap. It's fun. We get to have fun. Of course we do. By participating in those things, we're not energizing the commercialization of Christmas. We're just participating with what's around. But if we can be mindful of giving from that place of all of my needs are met, that this isn't making me more loving. This isn't, you know, it's not because of Santa Claus that there's joy. That this joy is coming from the sense of my true self then we're teaching, then we are participating, and that's how we shift the consciousness. And it's all, remember, communication happens, all healing is done at the level of the mind. All healing is done at the level of the mind, and all minds are joined. So it's that idea, too, of going back to why we do world peace meditations, why we, uh, do, uh, why we do counseling. It's because our experience of the world is that outpicturing of the inward condition. So how do we teach? How do we support the shift in awareness? We practice it ourselves. We stand as a loving presence in the lives of everyone of our family. We participate to the level we feel comfortable participating. And we uh, give from the overflow. And I feel like that's how we teach it. That's how we... Sorry, hold on. That's how we teach it. That's how we share with others. That's how we contribute to the shift in the awareness and the consciousness, and that's how uh, we create a different experience in the outpicturing. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah, I think that's really powerful. I think that's how we, we definitely we powerfully do it. And if, we may not say a word to anyone. <laughs> we might just laugh a lot and smile a lot and give no gifts uh, no presence, but only the gift of our uh, of our love and seeing others as innocent and whole and complete. And though they might they might have to work through their own stuff, but trust that that's the deep that's the true gift. And if you can and you'd like to, you feel inspired to buy a gift, wrap it, do what you need to do, but not from ever from a sense of sacrifice. 
So we have a couple minutes. Does anyone else have anything they'd like to share? Any final thoughts? Any light bulbs go off? I've got a quick one. Um, I used to go into debt in, in, at Christmas time and give a lot of presents. And uh, what I found out is I was not giving love. I was giving the symbol of love. So many of, of in our relationships, we give each other the symbol of love instead of true love. True love does not require a present. It requires a present. And that was a good lesson that I learned. Yeah, beautiful. So the end of sacrifice, the awakening of our oneness, of the Christ mind in us all, that is the meaning of Christmas. That's what it's symbolizing. Releasing our attachment to separation. The thought that the body is our only form of communication. Awakening to the light within. Mm. Beautiful. One, one so more quick little share. Uh, I got a Christmas card from my friends. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. James chapter 1, verse 17. I think that pretty much sums it up also. <laughs> did, you, did you take a Sharpie out and cross it out and say, within, exclamation mark, and then, send them clipping some Course in Miracles and send the card back. (laughs) 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 Um, (laughs) uh, Just remember this Christmas season, we are better than people that don't read stuff. So just remember that. That's that's the gift that keeps on giving. Uh, I'm joking. Guys, I am so honored and so grateful to be um, on this path with you. Truly, each and every one of you gives me a gift every day. And uh, what a blessing it is to be able to connect with you every weekend and to see you throughout the week. Uh, Truly, guys, you are the light of the world. You really, really are. And um, your contribution to the discussions, uh, I think, supports everyone in expanding their perception and um, asking themselves some real good questions. The way you show up for each other is uh, teaching people the power of service and, um, and uh, generosity. And I just really honor each and every one of you. I love you all so much. And uh, have the best possible holiday experience. I look forward to seeing you tomorrow if you'll be at the uh, musical service. Um, and um, namaste, namaste. Taking a deep breath of gratitude, we give thanks for the opportunity to connect in sacred space with these sacred beings, cutting all cords of sacrifice this holiday season, allowing ourselves to truly lean into the, the, this enlightened teaching of Christmas, the awakening of the Christ mind, disappearance of sacrifice. We are grateful, we are thankful. And we share all this light, all this love, everyone, because we are one with them. In grace and gratitude, we release the word and we let it be. And so it is. Amen, amen, amen. 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 Amen.
All right, Ma'am. y'all. So uh, my goal is to uh, have information um, about uh, uh, the retreat uh, cost and the uh, event on the Saturday after New Year's. And uh, I'll try to get that to you no later than Tuesday this week. I love you all. Peace and blessings. Bye. Bye. Love you. Bye, and Merry Christmas if I don't see you. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. 